Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. for you to produce this video and campaign for men to become more involved in the fight for abortion rights? Well, I have to say, I have to give credit all around because I was approached by an incredible producer and comedian, Josh Healy and Adam Monsbach and Kamau, who actually wanted to do this video. But we have been doing a campaign uh, because truth be told, when you look at historically uh, how patriarchy and white supremacy has played a role, you know, think about the fact that women couldn't have a credit card, you know, husbands could make medical decisions, could commit them women to asylums, you know, and so for years, I think we just rejected men weighing in. And I think what this video does so beautifully is a uses humor to show dads and cis men how much they've benefited from birth control and abortion, but also to change the narrative of control and intervention to a narrative of men having solidarity with us, men saying we're invested in your life and your full potential. And I just love that they wanted to do it and that they came to us without us having to ask. So thank you, Kamau and Josh and Adam. <laughs> hey, you know, Kamau, that that's, raises a very interesting point for me because as, as someone who stands on the other side of this of this conversation, um, I've always believed that uh, the the piece that was missing was men. No one is always seems to put the weight, the burden on either whether on the pro-life side or, or on the pro-choice side on women. And, and so prior to working with Abortion Access Front and making this video, was there ever a time when you thought this wasn't your fight, this wasn't your battle? And, and what's your message to other men now uh, who may still have that apprehension about engaging in, in this subject? I mean, I do think that the apprehension for men is normally on my side. As you say, on your side, I think men often do weigh in and tell women what to do with their bodies. So I would say that on on this side of the aisle, men often feel like they don't need to get into the conversation because, because there are activists, there are women doing the battle. And I learned a long time ago from my wife and from my mom and friends of mine, I live in a place called the Bay Area of California. 98 fucking dollars! I have to decide between buying gas or buying food. And guess who wins? Because I have to get to the job that I need to fucking buy anything at all. That doesn't pay me enough. And people want to donate a thousand dollars to fucking cats. 98 goddamn dollars at Costco to fill up my tank. 98 dollars. 450 a tank. 550 a gallon. At Costco, five fifty a gallon at Costco. This is the work of the fucking religious right. Listen to Robert Reich, who clearly, who, who who gives us all of the evidence 
all of the evidence about how our poverty is a choice that our government made for us. A CEO is not worth 351 times what I get paid. Ever. Fuck you, religious right, who are doing this and have been doing this to us. Fuck you, profiteering companies. Fuck you, billionaires, stealing us, breaking our backs, stealing from us, profiteering off of us. We've got to make sure, uh, as reporters, that we have the right language for this moment. Hmm. Um, the traditional way that we cover political disputes in Congress, for example, is uh, Democrats on one side, Republicans on the other. The spectrum is liberal to conservative, and we should not take sides on liberal versus conservative. However, this situation, uh, the Trump era more generally, but this particular situation, that's not the spectrum. The spectrum is truth on the one side and lies on the other side. And a large chunk of the Republican Party has chosen to situate itself on the lying end of that spectrum. Donald Trump has, of course, been there for a long time, but many Republicans are now echoing his lies. hearing will include evidence about Trump electors in battleground states who submitted fake electoral college ballots, even though Trump lost these states that we're talking about. We have already heard that campaign officials, Trump campaign officials, were involved in that. Do you have evidence that the former president himself was involved? Uh, yes, we'll show evidence of the president's involvement uh, in this scheme. Uh, we'll also, again, uh, show evidence uh, about what his own lawyers uh, came to think about this scheme. Um, and we'll show courageous state officials who stood up uh, and said they wouldn't go along with this uh, plan to either call legislatures back into session or decertify the results for Joe Biden. Uh, the system held because a lot of uh, state and local elections officials um, upheld their oath to their Constitution, a lot of them Republicans, uh, as well as Democrats. Just to be clear, you said you have evidence that the then-president was involved in putting a fake slate of electors out there. Do you, do you have evidence that he directed it? Um, you know, I, I don't want to get ahead of our hearing. We'll show during a hearing what the president's role was in trying to get states to name alternate slates of electors, how uh, that scheme depended. And welcome back to Flyover Politic, episode 607. It's the 21st of June, year of our Lord, 2022. Nice little intro there, especially the hardwood one. That's just my fucking favorite. Yeah. There's no bias on the left because you guys are fucking idiots. Jeez, the wheeze, man. Come on. And then Schiff. For four years, he came out and said the walls are closing in. They had nothing on Trump. Now he's playing the same game. But I don't blame him, I blame the media. How do they keep bringing this guy out? How? Well, it's pretty easy with our breaking news. Da -da 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 -da. Somebody do. Okay. So Biden fell. We have our Jennifer Rubin. We have, oh, the ramp. Let's just play the soundbite. I'm going to start it with the actual campaign ad. This is how much America was ninja mindfucked.
Some people are always in a hurry. They run when they could walk, race up steps when others take it slow. When Joe Biden's president, America is just going to have to keep up. We won't have to wait to deal with COVID-19. He's already got a plan. Won't have to wait for a president on the side of working families. He's from Scranton. No one has to tell him Wall Street didn't build this country. He knows who did. We're a nation that's been hit hard by this virus. But Joe Biden knows when you get knocked down, you get up off the mat. No one needs to tell Joe how hard life can hit you. Losing a wife, a daughter, a son. But he knows it's in the pain you can find purpose. To lead America, you need to understand America. America's an idea. An idea stronger than any army, more powerful than any dictator or tyrant. It gives hope to the most desperate people on earth. And it's an idea as alive and powerful today as it was when it was first proposed. The most powerful idea in the history of the world, I think, beats in the heart of the people of this country. No matter your race, your ethnicity, no matter your gender identity, your sexual orientation, no matter your faith, unites America. Whether your ancestors were native to these shores, whether they were brought here forcibly and enslaved, whether they're immigrants from generations back, or those coming today looking to build a better life for their families. Our best days are not behind us, they're ahead. In times as challenging as these, I believe there's only one way forward. As a united America, united in our dream of a better future for us and for our children. This is our moment, this is our mission, and we'll do it together. I'm Joe Biden, and I approve this message. time, my dear mother used to have an expression, if everything lousy, something good will happen if you look hard enough for it. We have a chance here to make a fundamental turn toward renewable energy, electric vehicles, and, and not just electric vehicles, but across the board. And, uh, and that's something we should be, my team is going to be sitting down with the CEOs of the major oil companies this week and uh, try to get an explanation how they justify making $35 billion. In the first quarter. Are you planning to sit down with oil and gas CEOs, no. Mr. President? Why, why is that, sir? Because my team's going to do that. Okay. But okay. you did that with retailers and logistics companies and consumer companies. Because uh, I had it already the... done. How, they, how can they cut more? Yes. One of the things that you may recall that I initiated was the international flat tax. No more. No more. We got 140 some nations to sign on to it. I'm coming. This is, this is my son Bo's old brother, and she's trying to tell me, Dad, Grandpa, <laughs> Pop, get going. You promised me you'd okay. walk. What did you guys do for Father's Day? We had dinner. All hung out together. It was really Come fun, on. and we did puzzles. What did you buy the first lady? All right. Thank you, Dad. We're ready. Because that's what he needs. The big problem for Joe Biden is that he is falling apart. He is, he's just falling apart. He's not really running for the office. It's the communist that he picks as his number two who will be running America within three months after he is sent to the long, long rest he has worked for all of his life. You know, a blanket over his hips, around-the-clock sweets, around-the-clock care. The man needs the care right now.
I pity the man. My physical as well as my mental. Every day, every day, this is what's airing on the radio. There's Michael Savage saying, I pity the man. There's Mark Levin saying, I think Biden's in a nursing home. What the heck is going on on these programs? Look at what Fox News saw on Saturday at Rehoboth Beach, Delaware. This is Joe Biden out there on a vigorous bike ride. Not wearing a helmet, but definitely wearing a mask, by the way. Fox's narrative and ra talk radio's narrative for months has been that Joe Biden is falling apart. You just heard Ben Shapiro say it, falling apart. And there he is riding a bike out for a bike ride. And Fox of all networks is the one that showed it happen. Look, we are. America's just going to have to keep up. We're going to have to keep up with this doodling fucking idiot. This is Joe Biden out there on a vigorous bike ride, not wearing a helmet, but definitely wearing a mask, by the way. The right-wing narrative has been that Joe Biden has fallen apart. How does one fall from a stationary bike? Chris Saliza. Been there. It's just so Biden. It's like a SNL skit. It's like an SNL skit. So, of course, the right was the only one that actually took this fucking shit seriously. Nobody else did. I'm not going to read juniors. Here's some of the comments that came off it. Ali Bethy Stuckey, the most troubling part of the falling of the bike video is that he wasn't even riding when he fell. Anna Rothstein, why the hell would his advisors allow him to be on a bike? We'll get to that in a second. Caleb Hull, can't believe Putin did this. Steve Deese, okay, that's really bad. Harmon K. Dillon, <coughs> attorney. All politics aside, whether you let your elderly relative who can barely walk and perceptively impaired mentally capacity galvanate around on a bike, gallivant, sorry. David Roby, political commentator, how do they put him on a bike when he barely knows where the hell he is? Dan Katz, I think I've watched a hundred times and it gets funner every time. Elijah Schaefer, it's really sad, the whole thing. It's not even going to laugh, mock him or anything. The guy is close to death. He can't even balance on a bicycle. He needs rest. Joe Moe, the most symbolic bicycle crash in history. Stopped, no immediate danger, no threat to avoid, just a self-inflicted crash. Matt Schlapp, my president has fallen and I can't get up. That's a good one. Ivy Yamini, whoever let Biden out on a bicycle instead of a wheelchair should be charged. We've learned nothing from World Elder Abuse Awareness Day, which he signed into law. It is a microcosm of his presidency. He is not in charge at all. He's not running anything. He just says what they tell him to over and over and over he doesn't know where he is half the time. He shook America, uh, imaginary hands. It's elder abuse. But the problem is, we're stuck with it. This is our country. We're stuck with this guy who literally... can't run a bike and he was out there on the bike because they told him to get on the bike they're trying to counter all of the freaking sound bites that are coming out and think pieces that he shouldn't run
So his handlers are like, no, we're going to show those motherfuckers. We're going to show them. And we're going to put you on a bike. There's even a picture of Dr. Biden running around and she doesn't look happy. But the media won't do five hours of mental cotton. They can't drink out of a water, can't walk down a ramp in new shoes. None of that shit's going to come out. There's not going to be a psychologist on TV talking about that he's mentally impaired and he should invoke the 25th Amendment. They're not going to do any of that. You're an ageist if you do that. When it was with Trump, it was saving democracy. But you're an ageist. So let's get into our insurrectionary moment. And I'm going to start it with the most hilarious intro I've ever seen. Here is fucking Tucker Carlson from last night. And I. Good evening and welcome to Tucker Carlson tonight. Happy Monday, if you could call it that. But you can't. Like most Americans, you're probably still trying to digest what has happened over these past four days. Profound national trauma is like that. Once you face something unimaginably horrible, Nothing is ever the same. Nothing will ever be the same. Like prison, it changes a man. This is not an easy time for any of us. We get it. We're literally, literally still shaking as we think about how close this country came to losing our democracy last Thursday. Last Thursday was June 16th, a day forever branded in our memory, a day that has joined the pantheon of tragic turning points in human history. Where were you on 616? You'll never forget, and neither will we. At the time, we were preparing a show on Tony Fauci and his push for a new corona shot for kids. It seemed important then. It seems so trivial now. As we were speaking on the air, at that very moment, a team of seven saboteurs had entered the Capitol grounds and then proceeded, as saboteurs do, to breach the Capitol itself. Inside those hallowed grounds, within the very womb of democracy, these wreckers began their hunt for sitting members of Congress. That happened, ladies and gentlemen. And if it sounds shocking to you, it gets more harrowing from there. This was not some spontaneous outbreak of insurrection. No, this was a meticulously planned coup from afar. The group in the Capitol was under the direct control of an extremist called Stephen Colbert, who as a white man is by definition a white extremist. This white extremist, Stephen Colbert, had a fifth column within the Capitol to help him pull off his diabolical plan. He had members of Congress in his employ, members of Congress who, believe it or not, helped the insurrectionists enter the Capitol. Just open the doors and let them walk in. Yes, that can happen. And that fifth column included Adam Schiff of California, Stephanie Murphy of Florida, and a new member called Jake Auchincloss of Massachusetts, besmirching his family name. Those three members of Congress allowed the wreckers inside the Longworth House office building. While inside, the insurrectionists tried to gain access to a restricted area, but they were thwarted by brave law enforcement who arrived, risking their very lives to remove the insurrectionists from the premises. But it wasn't enough. Because hours later, an aide to Congressman Auchincloss secretly permitted the insurrections to re-enter the Capitol complex. And then around 8.30 p.m., they caused some kind of disturbance. The details are murky as of tonight. But according to one report, they were banging on windows inside the Capitol, trashing the place, committing violence against our democracy. And for that, apparently, we are hearing tonight, they were put in jail. 
but within hours they were out again. Now, the man who controlled this attempted to coup, Stephen Colbert, knew exactly what he was doing. He knew the stakes. He knew the crimes he was committing. And we know that because just last year, this white extremist, Stephen Colbert, explained that grown men who unlawfully enter the Capitol to harass sitting members of Congress are not pranksters. They're not protesters. They're domestic terrorists. Lord have mercy. There are some dark subjects that we talk about on the show occasionally, but I've rarely been as upset as I am tonight. This is the most shocking, most tragic, least surprising thing I've ever seen. And his followers did what he told them to do. Behave in a way that's, what's the word? Deplorable. One of these domestic terrorists even broke into Speaker Pelosi's office and put his feet up on her desk. They now live in an alternate universe that is now collapsing in on itself. It, 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 it's, it's like a black hole of whiteness. And this was never some sort of peaceful protest. This was Charlottesville come home to roost. Oh, it's shocking. These are domestic terrorists. Stephen Colbert, in what the literary community refers to as foreshadowing, described his own coup. And yet Stephen Colbert somehow still has access to the airwaves and to digital media spreading his hate unfettered, convincing future generations of insurrections to do what his team of saboteurs did last week. That must stop. People who plan coups must be silenced. There's recent precedent for that. And anyone who disagrees should be disconnected from Amazon Web Services immediately. No spreading hate. But stopping white extremist Stephen Colbert from passing on his message of insurrection to the country won't solve what the rest of us are living with, and that's trauma. And like all trauma, journalists are affected most profoundly. We're scarred by what we saw. Before we can forget where we were when democracy shook on its very foundations. It's gonna take therapy, it's gonna take a lot of support from our fellow survivors before we can recapture the carefree innocence that Stephen Colbert stole from us, before we can feel safe again. We're not alone in our despair tonight. Lies that would bring thousands of angry people to the Capitol for one of America's darkest days became one of the darkest days in American political history. The very next day was one of the darkest days in this nation's history. To one of the most dramatic and dark days in American history. One of the darkest days in U.S. history. This was one of the darkest days in American history. What size bottle of bourbon do you drink at night to forget your central role in the darkest day in our capital's history? Yeah, yeah. Journalists feel this stuff deeply. People say, oh, you're just robots, just automatons, inert, hardened, callous to the news. You don't feel. But we do. We do feel. You see something like that? You see an insurrection take place before your very eyes? And it hurts you. It changes you. You're not the same person. How long will it take to, to heal? It's impossible to know. CNN just interviewed a Rolling Stone journalist who after a year and a half after the last insurrection still hasn't healed. Watch. Grace, you wrote for Pointer at the end of January last year. You said, sometimes I'm fine. Sometimes I want to sob for hours. Sometimes I just want to sleep. 
So that sounds to me like trauma. That sounds like PTSD. Do, do you feel like you still experience that? I do think so to a certain extent. This morning when I got on the train to come down here and see you, Brian, I was looking at the Capitol Dome. Right. And you know, my parents recently came down to visit me and we were near it. And I remember thinking to myself, man, I can't wait until I can look at this and not feel sad. Now you look at something like that and you're tempted to dismiss it out of hand. Oh, you're having trouble sleeping, you sob for no reason? Well, that's because you have a barren personal life. You're celibate, your only meaningful human contact comes from the Uber Eats guy. You live out your emotional life on Netflix. That's your core problem. It couldn't really be an insurrection that made you cry. Sorry, excuse me, sorry, stop. Or disrupted your sleep, but it can. For a journalist, this stuff hurts. But if you think it's bad for us in the news media, what do you think it was like for the lawmakers who were trapped inside Thursday night? In the last insurrection, even though she was nowhere near the Capitol, she's probably getting her nails done, but it didn't matter. Sandy Cortez nearly died. Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has given a harrowing account of her experience on January 6th. A harrowing and emotional account of what happened to her during the Capitol riot. It's one of the most harrowing accounts so far. Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez tell that harrowing story. The harrowing story of how she hid from attackers during the Capitol riot. Boom, boom, boom. Disclosing new harrowing details. Boom, boom, boom. That's what an insurrection looks like. But there's no charade-like miming that can ever fully express the pain inside. We're gonna deal with that in our quiet alone time, possibly wearing an upscale turtleneck. We'll let you know. But the question is, once we've had an active war like this, how does it this? Well, the obvious candidates, Liz Cheney, Adam Schiff, and speaking of crying, Adam Kinzinger, they're the naturals. We called them today to see what they're planning. How are we gonna commemorate this latest insurrection? They haven't gotten back to us yet, probably sleeping or weeping. But we can assume from past experience that Adam Kinzinger feels this really deeply, really deeply. Watch. Talk about the impact of that day. But you guys won. You guys held. You know, democracies are not. That's always step one. So we're going to have to mete out some pretty serious punishments. Stevens Colbert's team of insurrectionists have been jailed for one night. That's not a lot. The penalty for insurrection is death. We're not calling for that here. This is a moderate show. These are our fellow Americans. We owe them a second chance. Thankfully, there's recent precedent to help guide unappropriate punishment. What is the right punishment for insurrection? Well, Julie Kelly, for the last year and a half, has been following this very closely. She's the author of January 6th, how the Democrats used the Capitol protest to launch a war on terror against the political right. She joins us tonight. I play it for comedy gold, but the ending is why I went 12 minutes on that. It is just incredibly sad. It's just incredibly sad that that's a true thing. People are still in jail for parading. Do I think what they did is the same as January 6th? No. But nothing to Gitmo is where we're at right now. 
And it's not because of the event, it's not because of the day, it's because of politics. We have a bunch of fucking fascists running the country, and if you or I do minimal protesting compared... I mean, we just arrested 35 fucking guys before they protest. Nobody's even heard of that group. They're all fucking masked. Who the fuck knows if it's true? After Whitmer, do you believe anything? After January 6th, do you believe anything? When we know that there were Antifa guys there and NBC paid for them to be there. It's on record. And we know the FBI was part of it. So we arrest motherfuckers before they protest, but Colbert can parade around and be told to leave a bunch of times. Nothing will happen. There'll be no charges. This will be buried just like Waukesha. If there's anything I know in this administration right now, if I was an African-American, I'd go murder motherfuckers and have illegal guns and nothing's going to happen to me. I can go protest and burn down buildings. Nothing's going to happen to me. But that I'm white and I'm not progressive, I have to follow the law, which I do. And I would. But that's not the point. The point is either we have one motherfucking law for all motherfuckers or we have anarchy. And that's where we're at right now. But it's by design because, as you'll see in the bumper, Cruz, they're saying these are not right-wing guys. Fucking Crenshaw, they were all assaulted down here. The media is still on the warpath. They they know. if they Like, Meet the Press was all January 6th this weekend, and I'm not playing that fucker. But if they can keep it in the news, it might help the midterms. Fuck you, asshole. You asshole. This is why we can't have nice things. You asshole! Are you just an asshole? Is that it? Fuck you, you asshole! You ever hear the saying, you run into an asshole in the morning, you ran into an asshole. You run into assholes all day, you're the asshole. Fuck you, asshole. You! You are such an asshole! You dumb asshole! Asshole. Fucking asshole! Away from me, you asshole. What do you do for America? You know that? Remember how Trump made fun of your wife and you know, then you God, go become God, best God, friends God with Trump? I know, but why do you do that? You go become best friends with Trump after he makes fun of you and your wife? Why do you do that? I, I understand you don't want well, to defend you're a Texas coward. and you don't want no, to No, see, I do America. love America. See, you don't. You care more about the border between uh, Ukraine and Russia than you care about the border between Texas and Mexico. Why is that? Why do you care about that? God bless you. I know, but why are you a globalist? You're a globalist, bud. You know it, You're a globalist, Ted. You know that, bud. And that's why you're a coward and a liar. And you know that, and I know that. And that's why you're afraid to stand up for it. When Sir. people were freezing and dying, you were in Cancun. This is worse than Watergate. In Watergate, we had a criminal president of the United States who tried to undermine the electoral system. Here we have a criminal president, Donald Trump, but not only tried to... Uh, to undermine the electoral system, trying to undermine the basic transfer of power from one president to another and staged, attempted to stage a coup, a coup the likes of which you see in banana republics and in, in authoritarian dictatorships. There's never been anything like, like this in, in our history. So the Justice Department now has to make a decision because it's very clear that the president, Donald Trump, violated the law no question. There's no question about his seditious actions. The last sedition we had in this country on any kind of scale was Jefferson Davis, the president of the Confederacy. And Trump 
even outdid Jefferson Davis. He committed the United States under him as the chief officer of the United States government. He committed it to trying to stage an illegal coup. So you should charge someone with trying to use his personal, his, his uh, public authority to try to overturn an election? No, no, I don't. I mean, I, I you know, overturn, it, it means, you know, using uh, legal arguments. I, I just don't think that that's he knew be a that he game. knew were false. Well, that, that, that has wrong. not been proven. I mean, whether he knew they were false or last not. week, the entire second hearing was about how Donald Trump knew that the big lie is a lie. He was told that, but he was also being told by John Eastman and uh, Rudy Giuliani, you have good arguments, go make them. I mean, I, they may be crazy, but I mean, he was hearing those arguments and they are real lawyers. So uh, if you're a parent of a teenager at home, I, I'm one myself. Uh, teenagers around the world don't do this on a regular no. basis. O basically, only American teenagers do this. That's right, Jim. And I have teenagers, too. I have teenage boys who, uh, you know, I, I love them to death, but sometimes their judgment isn't the best. And, you know, I do have to talk to them seriously. And and, uh, uh, and these are not, uh, my, my, uh, uh, you know, these are our kids that tend not to get into trouble. But that if there's an incident like this, that uh, that, you know, the most heroic move they can make is run, right? That your judgment yeah. has to be to to run. And that's very hard. And when you think of other issues like racial issues and others that that many teenage teenagers face african-american boys and whatever else it is not it is a um uh, with police it is not a it is a tense time and if anything if there's any benefit to being on right now besides the fact that we we have a we had a shooting incident with no deaths is to remind people that it's the shooting incident that is uh, that is the bad news, right? And 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 the fact that there were no deaths uh, is a pretty low floor, and we should remind ourselves of that in, in a culture that has seen these mass shootings once a day. Yeah, but it, it's just a reminder that the specter of uh, mass gun violence uh, hangs over every community in the United States yeah. of America. It is just the way of life in this country right now. It's become an accepted way of life. Uh, for, for many Americans, and, and we should note this is also occurring uh, as uh, gun legislation is, is once again uh, predictably uh, stalling in the Senate. Uh, Julia Kayyem. Yeah. Those, by the committee showing all the people who told Trump there was no basis for this, no good faith basis, there's no fraud, and then literally showing one point where Trump the next day after Bill Barr debunks like Michigan and Dominion, Trump just goes out and says the same things. Does that fulfill corruptly under federal law? Yeah, it's like shooting fish in a barrel, Dean. Um, you know, J Judge David Carter, federal judge in California, found that Trump and Eastman actually committed two federal felonies. One was obstructing official proceedings, the certification of Joe Biden's win. And the other was a conspiracy to defraud or commit offenses against the United States, a 371 conspiracy. And he found that there was evidence that satisfied the legal burden of a preponderance of the evidence, more likely than not, 51%. And to indict somebody, Dean, you need far less evidence to, uh, than that. You only need probable cause to arrest and indict someone. So yeah, the, the evidence is all there. And, and they're proving all of Donald Trump's crimes with almost exclusively Republican voices, yeah. Republican witnesses. I don't know that there's been a Democrat who's testified yet or who we've seen, you know, videotape testimony from. So it's so the evidence is so clear and overwhelming. I maintain Donald Trump does not have a straight faced defense. 
to the two crimes Judge David Carter cited. Mm -hmm. I also believe he is um, responsible for inciting the insurrection. I believe he is responsible for a seditious conspiracy. And I happen to believe he is on the hook for treason because he levied war against the United States, against the democratic process, against the certification of Joe Biden's win on January 6th. He sent his attack dogs to to, um, stop the certification, sent them to the Capitol. He refused to call them off for more than three hours. And we also know he refused to send reinforcements to defend the Capitol against the attack he had launched. He put everyone's lives in danger at the Capitol that day. If that's not levying war against the United States, which is the very definition of treason, whoever owing allegiance to the United States levies war against them is guilty of treason. Donald Trump is on the hook for treason. I, I completely agree. Um, I want to ask you, Lucy, because the courts are such a big deal to Republican voters. A lot of Republican voters base who they're going to vote for um, and vote down ballots is focused on the courts. This role that Jenny Thomas uh, is accused of playing in the insurrection. Take a listen to Pete Aguilar uh, talking to my colleague Joy Reid about her role. At least part of the belief here that Virginia Thomas might have known uh, what was the basis of the belief that the Supreme Court would not take a case related to the attempt to steal the election? Um, or is the idea to try to find out um, whether, or, whether or not her husband, Clarence Thomas, um, was somehow in the know about his wife's decision to attempt to overturn the election? Yeah, I won't get into any of the investigative questions that uh, that we would you know offer. Uh, again, this is just about you know gathering information. I mean, I, I listen to this and I see this play out, and my question is: Is Jenny Thomas going to be perp walked because she is clearly uh, in violation of ethical norms, and it definitely seems like she viol- is in violation of the law? Will this matter <laughs> again, Lucy, to people who are so focused on the court? Does the integrity of the court matter at all at this point? I'm actually not sure that Republican voters who vote based on court composition are going to be motivated by any of this because they clearly have a set of issues that motivate how they vote. And that seems to increasingly be outside of the scope of democratic norms or what's decent. In terms of whether Jitty Thomas is going to you know, finally have consequences, I just think it's really important to remember that this is not Jitty Thomas's first rodeo. She has been an Icarus life figure flying a little too close to the sun a time or two before. And some of the details that emerged as early as last spring, for instance, Ginny Thomas controls the the email list of Clarence Thomas Clerk's alumni, right? This is not a woman who, you know, just wants to have a civic life of her own who happens to be married to a Supreme Court justice. This is a woman who is actively using her role to benefit financially, to benefit her causes in a way that are completely beyond the pale. And so if if Ginny Thomas doesn't face consequences for this particular episode, then I think we almost all need to pack it up and go home. This is just yeah. such blatant corruption. Right. I remember when she left that voicemail uh, for Anita Hill, which was a wild move all in and of itself. So ah, much more to come up. Uh, Charles Coleman will return in the next hour. Thank you so much, Lucy, uh, for joining us today. Uh, go off and enjoy your Saturday. We'll- I passed McCain. Hey, I passed McCain. Look at I passed McCain right here. You're a rhino. You're a globalist. You're a globalist rhino. You're a globalist rhino. Kid, you're a globalist rhino. I passed McCain. 
A speech in Nashville Friday, former President Trump did not just try to diminish the January 6th attack. He lied over and over and over again about the human toll of that day while defending the insurrectionists. If it were an insurrection that took place at the Capitol, you would have known it very soon. They would have, these were strong people. These were great patriots. They were policemen. They were firemen. They were soldiers. They were sailors. There were no guns. I heard they didn't have one gun. Nobody was killed except for a wonderful young woman named Ashley Babbitt who was viciously shot. And in my opinion, for absolutely no reason. There were a number of lies there. Uh, there were weapons uh, found by police that day. And of course, there, there were more casualties besides Ashley Babbitt. It, of course, Trump did not mention the injured Capitol Police officers. He did not mention fallen officer Brian Sicknick, who suffered multiple strokes after his confrontation with the mob. And joining me now is the life partner of Officer Sicknick, uh, Sandra Garza. Uh, Sandra, I, I guess first, um, what, what do you make of uh, some of that video we just watched there of, of uh, the former president and how he's continuing to lie about this. I mean, just over and over again. It's infuriating. Uh, he continues to do this, to defend these, as Officer Hodges said, terrorists that uh, attempted to overthrow democracy, to murder uh, members of Congress, because that's what they were intending to do. We've heard their own words. They wanted to execute the vice president. They were looking for Speaker Pelosi. I mean, he cannot defend uh, that fact. Uh, that's what they were intending to do. And I am sick and tired of him trying to downplay or outright deny that uh, and his supporters to say that Brian uh, did not die as a result of January 6th, because he did. Uh, his cause of death was natural, but that does not mean that January 6th did not play a role in his death. And what I mean by that is, uh, sadly, we just learned from the horrific events of uh, Uvalde. Uh, a great example of this is uh, Mr. Joe Garcia. He died uh, from natural causes. He died from a heart attack when he learned that his poor wife, Irma Garcia, was gunned down uh, in the school. Uh, she's a hero. She was uh, trying to save those children. Um, but just him hearing of his wife being murdered, he died uh, from the stress of learning of her death. Um, and by the way, my heart goes out to the families of those innocent angels that were mm. murdered on that day. Um, I was disgusted and appalled to hear about that. And I understand, well, I should say my heart goes out to them. I don't know what it's like to lose a child. I know how much I was hurting learning about Brian's death, um, but uh, nonetheless, I'm devastated for them. Uh, but uh, but the, the fact of the matter is, if, if January 6th had not happened, 
Brian would be here today. That's right. He just, he, that's that, right. That's, that's just right. the fact of the matter. Right. And right. so to, to say, I mean, this is the case with the other officers, who, who, some of the author, officers who took their own lives that's in right. the weeks that followed. That's right. If January 6th had not happened, those people would still be with us. Right. Donald Very Trump likely. was messing with the universal balance. That's what I like to call it. We don't know. If, what would have happened. Uh, Brian died from natural causes, but we don't know what the next day or the day after that would have led to. I, I mean, we have no way of knowing, but Donald Trump wanted to step in there and, and play a higher power, that's what I like to call it, and mess with people's lives. He altered the chain of events in the universe. Um, yeah. I believe that all of the people that died uh, on that day and the days following, uh, you know, would still be here today had it not been for Donald Trump, uh, you know, wanting to uh, mess with, uh, you know, uh, the Our democracy. Yes, right, right. <laughs> and take me back to um... Congresswoman Zoe Lofgren told my colleague Jake Tapper this week that some information has been provided on a confidential basis from your committee to the Justice Department. You know this, I'm sure you're hearing this. So many people watching your committee hearings are asking, what is going to come of this? Is the Justice Department going to file uh, criminal charges? First question is, why haven't you given everything over to the Justice Department that they are asking for and they say they need in order to potentially do that? I don't think Congress has ever done that. And I've been participating now in several investigations uh, where there have been parallel investigations done by the Justice Department. Congress never says, hey, Justice Department, uh, other branch of government, just come and go through our files. Uh, we also don't say, hey, we want to go over and just rifle through your files. Um, when the Justice Department asks for things specifically, hey, you know, we're looking at a case, mm -hmm. uh, we're investigating this person, can you give us what you have? We work with them, and we'll work with them here. You know, I, I do want to point out the Justice Department has the subpoena power, too. They can convene a grand jury. They can bring in witnesses. Uh, traditionally, they don't wait for Congress to do that work for the department. Uh, so we're going to work with them. We want them to be successful in bringing people to justice. Uh, but I, I can't go into the private conversations. Well, have you seen evidence that the Justice Department has already opened an investigation into the former president? Um, I, uh, you know, just looking at the public record, I have not seen, for example, uh, grand juries convened in places where I would think they would be convened. Uh, if they were looking at some of the conduct, for example, that Judge Carter in California wrote, he believed that Donald Trump uh, was engaged in multiple uh, uh, acts that violate the criminal laws. You've been critical of the Justice Department for moving slowly. If you've done so much work, why not help them out? Well, you know, we certainly will help them. Uh, we want them to particularize what they're asking for. Uh, and it's our intention when we conclude our investigation to uh, okay. make public our, our uh, findings uh, in great detail. Um, so, but we, you know, we have a, a job to do as well, and we are doing that, and we're uh, doing this consistent with how um, the, the, our branch of government has operated and the executive branch has operated. We've seen a lot. All right, you can take a picture and send it to me. Who are you? Bigs, I just been attacked. I just shots fired, shots fired. Don't move. Alright, you can take a picture and send it to me.
Jonathan Lemire, you look at the number, only 19% of Republicans. That's, let's stop for a second, though, and think about this. In this world of small margins that we play by every election, uh, whether it was 2016 or 2020, let's just stop for a second and go, oh, wow, only 19% of Republicans think he should be charged with a crime and go to jail. That's one in five Republicans. Now, I must say, I ran four times and won easily four times, but if one in five of my base thought I should have been charged with a crime and gone to jail, I mean, I would have... I would have gone and practiced law a lot earlier. That's that again. This is this is starting to resonate. This is starting to sink in. And and I just we we love we love to to knock around Washington institutions. I'm not talking about you. I'm just saying all of us. We love to talk about how ineffective people in Congress are or committees are. This committee has gotten the truth out to the American people, and. Even at the beginning of the summer, they're listening, Jonathan. That's shocking to me. Yeah, you make a, a good point about Republicans being sort of out of step in many ways with the mainstream. We've seen the poll we've gone over on this show about how they are out of step on abortion, how they are out of step on guns. And yes, at first glance, 19% feels like a small number, but one out of five is not insignificant. Six percent. They got six percent watching their shit show. And, and Mr. Potato's not happy with it at all. He, he is not enjoying the reality that most of us are really kind of concerned with important shit. You know, like, how are we going to fill our gas tank? How are we going to feed our kids? In my case, how the fuck am I going to get healed and at 55? Because I feel like it's never going to happen. So it'll be October and I'll be fit. How the fuck am I going to get a job? How? What are we going to do with houses? Because now houses are starting to go to shit. We don't care about this. And, and this woman, we're on the precipice of losing our democracy. She led a four-year coup. She manufactured things. She leaked it. She was in Ukraine getting info, which is the same thing we impeached Trump over, fucking with Ukraine. And they're still talking to her about democracy. In there, CNN condemns racist cops. You had Carl Bernstein. God, will that guy just die? Just go the fuck away. Go away. Donald Trump is on the hook for treason. Tiffany Cross. I got to delete all these fucking ads so I can get to it. Perp Walk, Ginny Thomas. Dan Crenshaw attacked by liberals, but we're calling them conservatives. CNN. CNN viewers three times likely to falsely claim the election was rigged and stolen from Trump than Fox viewers. That, that's a stat now, because that's like really important. 
Okay. Yeah, I got my slideshow, like, all wrong, don't I? Yeah, it's supposed to be over here. I wonder why. I'm just all fucked up today. Just fucked up today. Yeah. Yeah. Journalism. Um, Capitol Police whitewashed terrorists casing the building to attack it, but arrest triumphed the insult comic dog late show production team arrested at U.S. Capitol because it's been proved it's fake. And while all this is going on, we have real problems, man. Microwave bodies? I mean, we got crime. I could spend all day on crime. Then Kinziger makes up a bullshit letter. It's his handwriting. If you look at his handwriting to the president and his handwriting, it's the same thing. Oh, I'm getting attacked. Err, err. And I think I play the poor cop in Chicago getting attacked by a crazy person. Texas GOP approves measure declaring Biden was not legitimately elected. That's a huge thing. They're very upset about that. Very, very, very. CBS buries the rest of Colbert. He finally talked about it last night. I'm not going to play it, but he made it like he didn't do anything wrong. Hmm. Yeah, that, that's good. Then you have the AP. How many people are watching the January 6th hearings? That's not quite the best question to ask, writes Dan Bowder. This is the AP. Instead, it's a slicing and dicing of clips that matter and which gets shared. Here are some breakout moments, and I don't see them. I'm not seeing them online. I'm not seeing people talk about it. I'm... It's nowhere on Twitter has it as a moment, but nobody's talking about this because let's be honest, nobody gives a fuck. If you had the goods, you would have already fucking brought charges, but you don't have the goods. You haven't had the goods because there's no link. It was a spontaneous thing head probably by the fucking FBI and Antifa and a bunch of dupes followed them through the fucking wall. And you know, they're dumbasses, but as an independent American, I have to say unequivocally, I cannot believe how far they've taken it. That they literally have moved the bar so far that people are still in jail for walking in the Capitol. It's a misdemeanor. There's no link to Republicans. They want to say there is, but there's not. I mean, last podcast, oh, the video, the guy doing the video, the video, the video. Well, the stairwell, I've never seen that. You think anybody believes you? And it comes down to our journalism. So before I got a journal and bus bumper, but I want to play this really quick. This was CBS 60 Minutes this weekend.
Last week, 19,000 flights were fucking canceled in America. The man has done nothing. He was never qualified for the fucking job. And you use Pete Butlin just because he sucks dick? Don't say I'm a homophobe. Don't say I'm off base. That's what it was about. He's special because he sucks dicks. And he takes it in the ass. That's his qualifications. He was a shitty mayor. Roads were shitty there. It would be like me being put in charge of transportation. Here's my interview. So what do you know about transportation? I drive a car. I'm qualified. Just as qualified as him. I don't know how to work on a car. My brother Matt and Oren are going to be a better transportation. At least he could fix a car. I mean, that would be a start. But I bet I could do a better job than Pete Buttleg of trying to organize things and fix the supply chain problems and fix highways. and Because I get smart people and go, what do you think? Well, let's do it. You know, I was doing my walk this morning. I was listening to fucking the Ruthless podcast. And it hit me in my head that, you know, our problem is we got bad experts. All our politicians suck big cock. They're not good at all at what they do. They're not good. And the experts they have are the same experts we've had for fucking ever. So tell me something that's better. Foreign policy. Afghanistan. We gave it back to the guys we started fighting with 20 years ago. Iran. We're stopping them from getting a Iraqi uh, Iranian, uranium processing by letting them get uranium processing. Israel. This administration, they're the bad guys. PLO are the good guys. Next administration, PLO, the bad guys. Israel's the good guys. Saudi Arabia. Yeah, we know you guys took down the Twin Towers, but we need your fucking oil. That hasn't changed for any policy. For any administration. It's just what we do. Mexico. Every bad country's gotten worse under Biden. North Korea is still tossing missiles out towards Japan. Nothing's changed. We do sanctions that don't actually sanction anything, and we spend most of our fucking time just talking. And as we'll see in our trans segment today, which is a little lengthy, oh, we just let motherfuckers do whatever the fuck they want in our military. Our one tool in the toolbox that gets people to get in fucking line used to be our military. But now our military's running around with gay flags. Not the American flag, gay flags. And we're doing pronoun conferences. That's more important than the rising threat of China, Russia. St- I mean, I didn't even talk about Ukraine. What did we do in Ukraine right? Nothing. So I'm talking about a bunch of policies before I talk about journalism and then we talk about policies because all these shitty policies get amplified by the media who think it's all fucking okie dokie. So instead of insurrection-y, here's our jerk-off of the week. I am a politician. 
the media jerk off of the week. So hot. Without taking a stand on whether he's too old to run for re-election, let me just uh, run through what's true, what's false, and what gets conflated. What is true is the presidency's a hugely taxing job mentally and physically, and Joe Biden is old. Uh, he doesn't talk or walk as smoothly as he once did. Uh, that uh, uh, suggests challenges, and when you get into your 80s, which he's about to do, the risk of health problems uh, grows with every year. On the other hand, what's false is that he is not capable of doing the job right now or he's not mentally um, in tune with the demands of the job. Anybody, any aide who engages with him or reporters, we can see this. The gears of his mind are working. Uh, that is, uh, that's an issue uh, pushed by uh, uh, right-wing media, but it's not correct. Um, and what gets conflated is this. Uh, President Biden is in a weak political position right now, and because he's old, people think he's weak because he's old. His biggest political problem right now is $5 a gallon gas. Right. Gas is not $5 a gallon because Joe Biden's old. His legislative program is not stymied in Congress because Joe Biden is old. It's because he's got a 50-50 Senate, and one of the members of that uh, Democratic Senate comes from a Trump plus 39 state. Uh, I think the other thing that we should uh, point out is that younger more vibrant presidents like Bill Clinton and Barack Obama also had tremendous political problems in their second years, got hammered in midterm elections, and they ended up politically healthier. So uh, Joe Biden would look a little bit younger if he was at 50 percent than at 40 percent, but he's not. And so Watergate was not about the burglars. Right. Watergate was about a whole campaign of sabotage and espionage about cover-up, about a war against the press, a war against the system of justice. It was a subversion of our democracy. People have got to know whether or not their president is a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. He said he wasn't a crook, but that was the point. He was a crook. The central mysteries still remain. What were those men after at the Watergate? Who sent them? How were they paid? What's making the Republicans nervous is it's beginning to look as though some members of the president's re-election committee may know the answers. As the January 6th hearings continue in Washington, the Watergate story continues to echo today, offering potential lessons about the current political landscape. Leslie Stahl, who you just saw there a moment ago in that clip, was a rookie reporter at the time and covered the scandal from the very first day. There's another shot of her. And Leslie joins us now. Leslie, good morning. Gee. That's you. Look at myself. 50 years ago. You look great then. You look great now. There it is. There you are. Uh, Watergate was a very slow boil. We were in 72, 50 years ago. Yeah. Nixon doesn't resign till 74. So what were those early days like? Well, first of all, it, the, that the anniversary of the break-in, which is today, mm. would come right in the midst of these hearings mm. now. And there really is a resonance. Uh, in the early days, almost nobody believed that this was going to amount, this break-in was going to amount to anything. And you said I was a rookie. That's why they sent the rookie. It wasn't <laughs> a story. Mm. Um, there were very, very, very few news organizations covering it at all. 
What was the moment that made it not just a story of the rookies on, but a story the whole nation is paying attention to? Well, at hearings, it finally went into the Senate, and they staged these incredibly long, stunning hearings where there was a narrative because they started with the lower level people and built and built. And as the hearings progressed, you realize the whole thing was pointing first to the White House, then to the Oval Office. And you kind of get that same sense now mm. that as these, th the, as these hearings progress, yeah. you know, the, the arrow is pointing and moving and it, there is that kind of similarity. What rationale, Eddie, is given? When these restrictive voting laws are put in place in the last five years or so, how do they pass? What, what, publicly, why do they say they're doing it? And it's also an echo of, of the past. When we saw the disenfranchisement of, 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 of black men, remember black women didn't get the vote with the 15th Amendment, but when we saw the disenfranchisement of black men at the collapse of radical reconstruction, some of the same arguments were being made. Some of the same arguments were being made. So this, we need to understand voter suppression, voter nullification, all the stuff we're seeing now as an extension of Jan 6. Remember, Judge Ludwig said there is an ongoing revolution within a constitutional crisis that is taking place now. That part of that is, in fact, this attack, this assault on voting. And so we need to see it for what it is. It's part of this claim, uh, Stephanie that this nation must remain a white nation in the vein of old Europe. These people refuse to embrace the idea that ours is a multiracial democracy. They reject it out of hand. Is there, and, and just bear with me for a moment, Janelle, is there any, and I'm not even saying middle ground, but is there any ground to give? When, when one gives the argument, why not have to show your uh, ID? Why not have to show your license when you go to vote? You have to show your license for all sorts of things. Explain why that's not something that, that should even be on the table. Sure, and it's certainly something I've heard many times before in my travels as a reporter. Fundamentally, the right to vote is far more important than your ability to get on a plane. Eddie, what does it say that uh, Texas, where we are going to see huge voter drives this weekend, the, the, the place where Juneteenth was born is the same state that has these huge restrictive voting laws? It says how deeply tragic and flawed this experiment actually is. Um, I think going back to uh, the quote, uh, of, of Senator Warnock, uh, are we Jan 5 or Jan 6, and echoing Dean, or the future Dean, uh, <laughs> Cobb, that, that we're both. Uh, it, it, it's certainly the case to me, in, to my mind, uh, that that contradiction in Texas suggests that there's a world that's desperately trying to be, coming, there's an America that's desperately trying to come into being, and, Amer and an America that's clinging to life. And every time a new America is trying to come into existence, Stephanie, the umbilical cord of white supremacy has been wrapped around the baby's neck, choking the life out of it. We have to be better midwives if a new America is to be born, because what we're experiencing now is an old, old and familiar haunt. And we have to acknowledge it. Is there anything Democrats can do to stop the wave in 22? Um, 
It, right now, I, I, the one thing I would disagree um, with you all on is that every moment that we're spending here talking about the January 6th commission, we're not talking about $5 gas. <laughs> we're not talking about inflation. But that's not going to help Democrats right. no, talking no, no, about $5 right. gas. No, no, well, I'm saying you don't want to be talking. Yeah. You want the, the airwaves to be talking about this because it reminds the voters why they voted for Joe Biden, the danger that we were in. I think, it, you know, I remember George about a year ago when we saw the first poll where the president's numbers were really starting to go to the negative, um, we asked the question, what should he do today? He didn't really do enough at that point in time. Right now, this is a base play in, in the midterms. You are not going to change hearts and minds. And people who think that money makes a difference, I always remind them, I had plenty of money and I didn't get reelected. And so at this point, the cake's baked on, on where you are. The only bright side is when you nominate people like Herschel Walker, when you nominate people like the Republican nominee in Pennsylvania, it gives Democrats and an opening. In there's Marr defending the J6 stuff where that guy talked about it because he was right. 100% right. And I am in the wrong section. Am I in the right section? Hold on a second. There we go. No, uh, this that one is... Sorry, I fucked that up. You got him talking about the Washington Post, which we'll talk about in a second after the USA Today. We have um, uh, Glaude compare voter ID laws to strangling a baby. Uh, a Watergate special, because somehow that's the same thing now. Stephanopoulos panicking that they're going to lose. Harwood dismisses Biden age gears and the way his mind works. Really? You going to go with that? And then we have the USA Today. We find out literally 23 articles completely made up. So at least they fired somebody. But let's do the math. There's a lot of motherfuckers who got Pulitzers for Russia, 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 and those aren't where right. They were all fake. NBC upset. January sixth committee is badly failing. NPR skips murder of Kavanaugh but covers some neo-Nazi groups again. That's all we talk about is neo-Nazi groups, but none of us know any neo-Nazi groups. God, you fucking people. Just fucking don't understand. Then there was this. this he was joking about COVID, and Taylor Lorenz, once again, comes in, with their, I'm glad to joke for you, Matt, and that you're lucky enough to get access to great care. But for those who have had their lives destroyed by the virus and have had loved ones die from the suffer with LC, it's not funny. Hope you can have a little more empathy, especially today. She's still employed. That's CNN. The cat. We're talking about a cat. A fucking cat. That's what CNN was running with. A cat. 
Then this, this is what really bothers me the most about everything is that they can get away with just utter fucking lies. U.S. has become the first country on earth to give vaccines to kids. That, that's child abuse. Three, three shots. That's just child abuse. But he can talk about it. He can talk about it because it's okay. It's all okay. Illegal border crossings up 318% from a year ago. Rasmussen, once again, I don't have the slide. Inflation, 91%. Economy, 89%. Violent crime, 88%. Cheating, 75%. Illegal immigration, 66%. Climate change, 64%. All they talk about is climate change. That's it. ABC caught actually putting that out. They're going to hold on. That was some intern, hopefully, hopefully thinking it. This is a congressional uh, candidate. Repeat after me. The Second Amendment does not give you the right to own a weapon of war. I nuked her on that, but we're not going to talk about it. The only positive that came out is this new gal from Texas. Man, I love her. Comenzamos con la victoria electoral histórica de la republicana Mayra Flores, que se convierte en la primera congresista de Estados Unidos nacida en México. Flores representará a Texas tras imponerse al demócrata Dan Sánchez. Su triunfo representa un cambio generacional, político y la confirmación que el sueño americano está al alcance de cualquier inmigrante que se esmera. Got a good head on her shoulder. Here's Biden lying. Look at this. With the biggest single driver of inflation being Putin's war. Do you think anybody would get away with that? Little article, and I don't know if I have that. I don't. Washington Post Ramphill frets voters blaming Dems for inflation. GOP agenda is so much work. Worst. New York Times. To farmers on fertilizer. Hooray. Use P. It's eco-friendly, but it doesn't work. It doesn't work. What is wrong with these people? New poll. In general, how responsible President Biden's policy for causing current inflation. Responsible 64. Not responsible 25. 53% of Dems say he's responsible. Five major cities on pace to pass 2021 homicides. All lefties all of them then we have all these articles about why people don't want to go back to work uh people don't want to go back to work they shouldn't have to go back to work we should all just get paid for sitting at the house and i'm before that considering i don't have a job but i'm not so here's our hypocrites of the day we're gonna go straight into woke and it will be a bumper for trans because Motherfucker. A lot of crazy shit going on.
you can't hate the people who like him yeah. because it's yes. half the country. And I'll give you yes. an example of where I'm probably with you on something this week. There was a football coach. His name is Jack Del Rio. Okay. And he called the January 6th riot a dust up. Now, this is a very common view that he has. I would like to, if I could talk to Mr. Del Rio, I think I could probably, hopefully, convince him a little bit that it was more than a dust-up. He also compares it a lot to the 2020 protests mm -hmm. that were going on after the George Floyd yeah. murder. Okay. I think I could also convince him there are really important differences between those two things. And actually, the attack on the Capitol was worse. Nevertheless, he has a right to be wrong. Yes. In America, you have the right to be wrong. Yeah. They find him, the team find him $100,000 for this opinion, finding people for an opinion, I am not down with that. And here's what the coach of the team said. This is his, you know, his assistant coach. So his boss said about the guy who got fined, he does have the right to voice his opinion as a citizen of the United States. And it most certainly is his constitutional right to do so. Apparently not. Turn it up. So we're going to see. I've, I've been convening. I've convened faith leaders. And, you know, for, for those of us of faith, I think that we, we agree, many of us, that there's nothing about this issue that will require anyone to abandon their faith or change their faith. It's simply saying that the government should not have the ability to decide what an individual does with her own body. before dawn people believe it's to tell each other that they made it through the night as a way of saying i'm still here still here maybe that's why we sing too as a way of saying i made it i'm still here 
hear them or not, will we choose to listen? Birds tell us there is something worth singing. That hope, too, is a feathered thing perched upon the soul, singing never ceasing, giving wings, reminding us something so profound can be a quiet sound. So this person was complaining about her son being asked his pronouns at school. First of all, if you think pronouns don't have a place in the classroom, you clearly don't understand grammar. But there's two problems with not asking pronouns to everybody. First, it puts the pressure on the child or teen to come up to a teacher who they may not feel is a safe adult yet and say they don't use their assigned at birth pronouns. And second, it then creates the assumption that if you don't use your assigned he, him, his, or she, her, hers, then you're not normal. And that you're some kind of outlying weird exception. And here's the thing. There's nothing wrong with using the pronouns that you were assigned at birth. I use she, her, hers. So when people ask me my pronouns, I just use that. But it creates a safe and important space for kids who don't feel comfortable using their assigned at birth pronouns. I'm Dr. Claire Craig, I'm a diagnostic pathologist and I'm co-chair of the Heart Group and I want to take you through the evidence that Pfizer just presented to the FDA on the six months to four-year-old children. There's an awful lot about this trial that has shocked me and I think will shock you too. The trial recruited 4,526 children aged from six months to four years old. 3,000 of these children did not make it to the end of the trial. That is a huge number, two thirds of them. Why was there this drop off? That needs to be answered. And without an answer to that, on that basis alone, this trial should be deemed null and void. So what did the trial show? Well, they defined severe COVID as children who had a slightly raised heart rate or a few more breaths per minute. There were six children aged two to four who had severe COVID in the vaccine group, but only one in the placebo group. So on that basis, the likelihood that this vaccine is actually causing severe COVID is higher than the likelihood that it isn't. There was actually one child who was hospitalized in this trial. They had a fever and a seizure. They had been vaccinated. So now let's turn to what they defined as any COVID. And what they did was to utterly twist the data. They vaccinated the children and they waited three weeks after the first dose before the second dose. In that three week period, 34 of the vaccinated children got COVID and only 13 in the placebo group, which worked out as a 30% increased chance of catching COVID in that three week period if you were vaccinated. So they ignored that data. And then there was an eight week gap between the second dose and the third dose, where again, children were getting plenty of COVID in the vaccine arm. So they ignored that data. There was then seven weeks after the third dose, which they also ignored, which meant that in the end, they had ignored 97% of the COVID that occurred during the trial. And they just looked at tiny numbers. 
so tiny. In the end, they were comparing three children in the vaccine arm who had COVID with seven in the placebo arm. And they said that this showed the vaccine was effective. It's okay to have different kinds of friends. It's okay to make a wish. And yes, yes, it's there. And the grand finale, it's okay to be different. You are special and important just because of being who you are. In the end. Yeah. Like that story? Yeah, I like stories that end on a positive, positive note like that. Yes, I love this one. It's okay to be different by Todd Parr. Land of the free, home of the brave, land of the AR-15, home of kids in the grave. I've struggled to find the words, keep the disposition sunny. I'm always trying to turn the unfunny things funny, but laughing feels wrong. Hypocrisy's rife, I gotta say something, cause you're all pro-life unless it's taken by a gunman. Nineteen more tiny heartbeats stopped in the alma mater. You force kids into the world, then condemn them to slaughter. We teach our daughters how to hide when they should be learning history. Then we're surprised when it repeats itself. It's no mystery, it's indifferent. See them run when asked how to combat the madness. They don't care about your rights, they only care about their status And they have us where they can hold us Packed in the Senate and SCOTUS And acting bogus, hocus pocus While we hopelessly focus on the joke that is trying to feel safe in this country I love my home, but I don't know if we'll truly become free if we can't agree Uncle Sam's holding a bad gun The nation's fighting for its soul Are we sure it ever had one? Children dying in the school But can you tell me why? Are they not trying to change the rules? We're crying, but we're not fools making a live on TikTok and they were explaining about how oh pro-life is good abortions are bad da -da -da -da, all this and that and I had to pop in give my two cents and they were like you know like they're babies it's a human humans have rights and you're gonna kill it that's a murder and I'm like listen bitch I would get pregnant just to abort it you can't argue with me okay I'm psycho I would fucking kill it I would push myself down the fucking stairs I would jump out of a plane to kill that baby I do not want to give birth today on the last day i finally decided to come out to my kids and my kids are older they're four and five and the way that i did is just read them a book about this teddy bear that uh kind of comes out as a trans girl and it's really nice and it's very simple they understood it right away and i think what made me cry the most was that afterwards like i kind of looked at them and there was just a silence in the room and i just thought like oh my god now they see me as a totally different person and before this they loved me i was such uh you know one of their favorite teachers and it felt so good to have that and i think that's one of the biggest fears i had is that as soon as they found out about me they would lose all love for me and then one of my kids breaks the silence and she gets up and she just is like she just hugs me and she's just like everyone give ruti a hug and they all came and they gave me a hug and she was just like we love you like we love you so much and I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, it made me really emotional and it was, I think, one of the biggest moments in my transition where I truly felt like at peace with um, who I am and that like even kids can understand it and even kids can accept me and so it doesn't make any fucking sense when adults can't. Because if a kid can, why can't a fucking adult understand and accept? And I've actually been having a lot of conversations recently about this, just in general, about this idea that like queer people are indoctrinating kids 
and like uh, that Texas law that's going to ban drag queens from interacting with kids. I mean, all of this legislation and these conversations coming up about it. And I just had a moment where I came out to my kids and they accepted me fully. I know it's apples to oranges on that because we're talking about abortion. But it's apropos with all that bullshit you saw. The morals of our country are fucked. So before we go in, and I, it's a second outside source I played, here's Ben Shapiro on American morals. And meanwhile, all of this is being exacerbated by a sense that America is coming apart at the seams morally. And you can see this on every available front. It feels as though there are two very different visions for what America should look like morally, and they are in complete contradiction with one another. It's It really is amazing. There's a poll that came out from Gallup, and it showed that 50% of Americans rate U.S. moral values as poor. Now, the 50% of Americans who rate U.S. moral values as poor, that actually is bipartisan, okay, because there are a bunch of Republicans who think it, and there are a bunch of Democrats who think it, but for completely different reasons, and this is the key. There are two very different moral visions for the country. This is particularly true with regard to children. On the left, there's a generalized perception that the great risk to children is Judeo-Christian values, traditional roles, moral rules. These things are a threat to your child's development, according to the left. Your child needs to be left free to explore their own identity, to find their gender fluidity, to find their inner peace through your facilitation of hormone treatment. They have to be, at the same time, trained that they might be a little racist and that they need to understand the historic injustices of the United States that have now been instantiated in them as human beings. And if you teach them Judeo-Christian moral, if you take them to church, that is an imposition of, a, of an external morality that is bad for kids. This is the view of large swaths of the left, which is why you're starting to see all this talk about drag queen story hour in public schools and why it's so important and why you have the Biden administration openly attempting to trans the kids. Because the idea is that all of these impositions on children are dangerous for them. The right's view is precisely the opposite, that kids need inculcation of moral rules. That traditional Judeo-Christian ideas are good for kids. That kids need boundaries. They need to be taught about civilizational roles. And that it is good to act in accordance with both evolutionary biology and the inherited wisdom of the ages when it comes to enacting the way that you live your life. That these things are, these are in complete contradistinction to one another. And you can see that this moral conflict is now becoming incredibly acute. Because as the left moves ever to the left, as they feel their oats, as they believe that the wave of history is with them, they've pushed so far so fast that the right, which has been asleep at the wheel for literally my entire lifetime culturally, has decided we're done with this. And a lot of people in the middle are looking and looking at what the left has done to kids. And they're saying, we're not interested in this. You can see the conflict in this poll from Gallup. It's really fascinating. According to this Gallup poll, a record high 50% of Americans rate the overall state of moral values in the United States as poor. Another 37% say only fair. Just 1% think the state of moral values is excellent and 12% good. Okay, but... When you break this down, what you see is two very different reasons why people believe that the moral values of the United States are bad. The right believes the moral values of the left are bad, and the left believes the moral values of the right are bad. So the only thing they have in common is they believe the moral values of the United States are bad. It's just that the left believes that the right is in control, and the right believes the left is in control. These findings from Gallup's May 2nd through 22nd values and beliefs poll are generally in line with perceptions since 2017. On average, since 2002, 43% of U.S. adults have rated moral values in the United States as poor, 38% as fair, 18% as excellent or good. Republicans' increasingly negative assessment of the state of moral values is largely responsible for the record high overall poor rating. At 72%, Republicans' poor rating of moral values is at the highest point since the inception of the trend and up sharply since Donald Trump left office. 
At the same time, 36% of Democrats say the state of moral values is poor. Only a 48% plurality rated as only fair, 15% as excellent or good. So why exactly do people believe that the moral values of the United States are, are bad? Republicans are more negative than Democrats about the deteriorating state of moral values. The 93% of Republicans who think moral values are getting worse is the highest measured for the group by one point. It comes after a sharp, sharp uptick in 2021 when Joe Biden became president. Meanwhile, only 68% of Democrats now say moral values are getting worse. Again, because Democrats control all of the institutions of our society, ranging from the actual government to at the federal level, at least, to the educational system, to the entertainment system, to the media. And so when they look at all of the institutions reflecting their moral values, naturally, fewer of them think that the morality of the country is getting worse. So what exactly do Americans think is the top problem? So according to the polling data, 18% of Americans, and this is very consistent, think consideration of others is the top problem. Now, again, that's very vague, and people break that down very differently. I think consideration for others means, for example, that you respect my religious freedom. People on the left believe consideration for others means that they get to invade my religious freedom and declare that Yeshiva University has to have a pride club. In terms of racism and discrimination, 8% of Americans now believe that this is the top problem with the state of moral values. 8% say racism and discrimination. That, of course, is the aftermath of the BLM movement. There's actually been a decline since 2012 to 2022 in lack of faith or religion or lack of morals. So 17% of Americans in 2022 thought lack of religion or lack of morals was the key issue today. That's only 14%. Lack of family structure, that worry has declined as well. So what you've seen is that the left has basically given up on sort of the mainstream view that people should go to church, that people should have traditional family structure, and they've decided to pour all of their moral ire into the racism issue. Right. Among Republicans, about 11% name a lack of faith of, or religion as the most important moral problem. Democrats are at least twice as likely as Republicans to mention racism as a top moral problem. So we have a massive gap that has emerged in our culture. And so as the economy declines, and as the, the sort of materialism of a very rich society starts to run up on the shoals of bad democratic policy, all of the moral conflicts that are boiling under the surface are going to start to break through. Because materialism and material comfort can mask a lot of things, like the fatty layer on your body. It can mask a lot of things. But as that fat starts to decline and whatever is underneath starts to show through, things are going to get really, really ugly really fast. And this is becoming, again, most clear when it comes to the treatment of children. The treatment of children in religion is the biggest one. According to the Washington Post, caught in the culture wars, teachers are being forced from their jobs. And so the right would say, okay, well, if you're teaching my kid gender orientation, sexual theory, then yeah, you should lose your job. If you're teaching my kid America's inherently bad, you should lose your job. The left says, if you teach prayer in the classroom, you should lose your job. These are two incompatible visions of what it means to raise children in the United States, which is, of course, what we're all fighting about all the time. Because if we're not fighting about just our pocketbooks, we have to be thinking about what the moral future of the United States looks like. The Washington Post, of course, is on the side of the left. A Florida teacher lost her job for hanging a Black Lives Matter flag over her classroom door and rewarding student activism. A Massachusetts teacher was fired for posting a video denouncing critical race theory. A teacher in Missouri got the ax for assigning a worksheet about privilege. And still another in California was fired for criticizing mask mandates on her Facebook page. They were among the more than 160 educators who were either fired or resigned from their jobs in the past two academic years due to the culture wars that are roiling many of the nation's schools. And the reason, by the way, that this is boiling down to schools is because there's a baseline libertarianism that Americans have when it comes to adults, which is... Adults sort of like, as long as you're not hurting anybody else, do whatever you want. That's sort of the baseline libertarian ideal in America. But when it comes to kids, libertarianism does not apply because kids do not have the power of consent. Kids do not have the power of choice. 
what moral there's no such thing as a sort of classical liberal moral standard to be applied to children because somebody's going to have to teach children somebody's going to have to determine what standards they ought to be inculcated with and that's why all of this is really boiling down to the question of how we raise our kids and you're starting to see this in in real ways breaking out everywhere in the culture everywhere from the schooling system to your entertainment culture again if i think it's very important to just mention that the the wild difference between how the left sees raising kids and how the right sees raising kids is very, very important. Okay, so for example, Chris Evans. Okay, so Chris Evans is now saying that you are a, a terrible person and very bad if you don't wish to take your kids to see Lightyear. Right? This is now a moral test. And th this is what the left likes to do. What they like to do is they like to do something transgressive. And then the, and, and they say it's very important that what they're doing is it's an incredible, important moment. We have the first gay kiss in a children's movie made by Pixar. Very important. You should all take note how important this is. And then you say, okay, I, I agree that it's important because you're trying to inculcate a system whereby you claim that a certain sexual morality and lifestyle is equivalent to another sexual morality and lifestyle. Where you claim that female-female couples are entirely morally equivalent to male-female couples producing children. Right? That's the claim that you're making. And I disagree with that claim. So I agree that what you're doing is important. And also, I don't wish to indoctrinate my kids in a belief system that I think is morally incorrect. And Chris Evans says this makes you a bad person, right? You're not allowed to notice. This should be, the, it's his wording, I think, that is really important here. So Chris Evans, who is the star of the film, he says, I mean, it's great. As great as it is, and you know, I've been asked the question a few times, it's nice and it's wonderful. It makes me happy. It's tough not to be a little frustrated that it even has to be a topic of discussion. So we do something that changes the moral standard. And it's sad that we even have to discuss it. We shouldn't have to discuss it. It's important for kids to see this stuff. Quote, that is that this that it is this kind of news. The goal is that we can get to a point where it is the norm and this doesn't have to be some uncharted waters that eventually this is just the way it is. It is the norm. OK, now, statistically, evolutionarily speaking, male, male, female, female couples are not the norm. That's just the simple fact of the matter. All of human biology, all of, of human reproduction relies on this not being the norm. In fact, and I can, that's not to make the case against tolerance. That's not even to make the case against same sex marriage. OK, that's just to make the case that to teach small children that the norm is male, male, or female, female is statistically and morally incorrect. And yet that is exactly what is being pushed. And if you object, this makes you a bigot. Okay, well, that sort of stuff is going to boil to the surface when you have a country that is so divided along these lines. There's an article in the Orlando Sentinel that just came out that I think underscores all of this. The Orlando Sentinel put out an editorial called GOP Loves Parental Choice Unless Parents Choose Drag Queens. Well, Yes. I mean, yes. Like we think there are things that you can do to your child that are damaging to your child and bringing them to strip clubs where they view men dressed as women dance around twerking seems like damaging stuff to children. Like what? Correct. Again, these conflicting visions of the world are, are going to divide the country. They're going to continue to divide the country in the middle, particularly of a Joe session. It's apropos. We just, they want us moralists because that's how they roll. And I don't, I just don't get it. We're paying for drag shows. 200K. That, that's just fucking sick. And now we're finding people saying Lake is horrified by kids at drag show, but then she had drag shows. I mean, all these people... Realize it's bad, but this is the worst. This is what I was talking about in the first segment right here.
Air Force recruiting. Guide on an American flag. That should be your whole thing. That's it. That should be it. To show it's endless, here is, uh, I guess I don't have it. My wife and I didn't want to use our dad's name, so we just made up new names. And then comes the thing that just pisses everybody up. World Swimming Association goes, that's it. No. That chick can't compete. If you went through puberty first, you can't compete. And the media was not happy about it. The new policy that effectively bans transgender women from competing in women's swimming events. Juju Chang is here with more. And Juju, this goes into effect starting, what, this morning? Absolutely, Robin. Good morning to you. And this is by far the toughest restriction against transgender athletes. Swimming's International Governing Board saying they consulted with scientists and policymakers and voted to essentially ban trans swimmers from elite competitions, including the Olympics, unless they medically transition before age 12. Some see it as a triumph of fairness or equity, while others see it as a blow to inclusion. A bombshell ruling in the world of international sports. As of this morning, the swimming world's governing body, FINA, effectively banning transgender athletes from competing in women's events. The organization voting that it will only allow women who have transitioned by age 12 to compete in international races like the Olympics. Leah Thomas pulling away. Leaving out athletes like one of the sport's rising stars, 23-year-old Leah Thomas. While the science is still evolving, some medical experts say the effects of higher testosterone during male puberty may never be fully erased. What are the physical aspects uh, that trans women may not be able to roll back? With hormone therapy. Obviously, issues really. To everybody else on the planet, it makes total sense. But to them, it doesn't. Look at this picture. I'm going to blow it up. Those are two gay kids, or gay dads. I'm a future lesbian. You know, that study, we go back in there, it, it's proven. You. And here's another one. Life without a father, less college, less money, more prison. That's just, ooh, I'm fucking up by the numbers, aren't I? That's just facts. Sorry about that. Facts get in the way. And this gay thing, more mental health, more drug use. In these places, most kids... Don't live with dads. And if you look close, it's rural. Drag pedagogy, the playful practice of queer imagination in early childhood. This is a, They're trying to make this like it's a thing. And it's not. I dressed up like a girl. My sister put makeup on me. I didn't want to suck a dick or get fakes and chop my dick off. This one. Christopher Andrew Severn for Christopher Rufo arguing over trans strippers versus British pantomime. Our whole media is a set and just the only positive is this. Buzz Lightyear, Lightyear has flopped. It made $50 million. Nobody went and saw it. I went and saw and I was going to do my review in a bit. There was nobody there. But Chris Evans, he calls you all cavemen. Of, you know, you're a bunch of homophobes if you don't want to see, your, want your kids to see a same-sex... I don't want my kids seeing any kisses. 
It's supposed to be Tim Allen, Buzz Lightyear, and that was me. I could give a fuck if they had a lesbian scene. I just fast forward. But I'm never watching because Tim Allen ain't there, and Tim Allen's fucking Buzz. That's just the way it is. I don't think I have a sign for this. Yeah, we'll get there in a second. When asked what are your pronouns, don't answer. Big article. I thought it was really funny. And it's true. We, we just not, we need not play. We need not play. Here are all some articles from Vice. These do headlines back in the day. Working out is a minefield when you're non-binary. Saying gyms needed to protect them. From what? The queer personal trainee trainers tackling heteronormative people one dead left at a time. The best swimsuits for non-binary. What it's like to be raised gender neutral. And it's competing because this is queer month. So that they, they don't like that. But Juneteenth was there. So as we go to everything is racist, this is going to be a long bump, but I had to put it together. You're going to have the view on Juneteenth and then a mix of Juneteenth stuff from politicians to the gunfight that killed a bunch of them in, in D.C. I have ever since I learned about Juneteenth, which wasn't wasn't as young as you probably did or anyone else. I, I learned a few years ago and I was like, how did I not know about this, that we were celebrating Fourth of July, which was freedom of America, when freedom of American people didn't happen until Juneteenth. So in some ways, the celebration feels more authentic on Juneteenth. Yeah. It, it Happy Juneteenth, everyone. One of the great honors I've had as president was to sign the bill making Juneteenth a national holiday for the first new federal holiday since Martin Luther King Day nearly four decades ago. And it matters. It mattered to me and it matters to the country. Juneteenth marks both the long, hard night of slavery and subjugation and the promise of a brighter morning to come, a day of profound weight and power that reminds us of the extraordinary capacity to heal and hope and emerge the most painful moments into a better version of ourselves. You know, great nations don't, they just don't ignore the most painful moments in their history. They embrace them to heal and grow stronger. And we're a great nation, but it's simply not enough to commemorate Juneteenth. For emancipation did not mark the end of American work to deliver the promise of equality. It only marked the beginning to honor the true meaning of Juneteenth, we must never rest until we deliver the promise of America to all Americans, all Americans. That's what Kamala and I and our administration are committed to do.
and go home to my Lord and be free. No more moaning, no more mourning, no more mourning over me. No more weeping, no more weeping over me. They'll be singing, they'll be singing, they'll be singing over me. And before I be a slave, I'll be buried in my grave and go home to my Lord and be free. What was life like during the days of slavery? One report from the diary of a Texas slave girl gives us a bird's eye view of what many young ladies had to endure. I entered my 15th year, a sad story in the life of a slave girl. My master had begun to whisper proud words in my ear. He peopled my mind with unclean images such as only a vile monster could think of. He told me that I was his property. That I would be subjected to his will at all times and in all things. My soul revolted against this tyranny. But where could I go? What could I do? I confided in my grandmother and told her about my ordeal. But all she could do was hold me tight and say, Poor child, oh, poor child. What was slavery like during the days of slavery in Texas? Listen to the stories of these Texas slaves. Now, my name is Richard Crooks. Our slaves had a praying ground down in the hollows. Sometimes we'd come out of the field at 11, 12 o'clock at night, scorching, burning. And we wanted to ask the good Lord to have mercy on us. So we took a grease of oil and put it in a small bottle and made a lamp. We took a pine torch to it, went down to the hollows to pray. Oh, some got so joyous that they started to holler loud and we had to stop up their mouths. I saw those folks so full of the Lord and happy, they almost dropped unconscious. My name is Sarah. Mrs. could have helped me, but she didn't. She hated me just because of the tension masturbated me. She was incapable of feeling for the condition of shame and misery in which her unfortunate helpless slave was placed. We were treated like animals. We were not allowed to own property. We were forbidden by law to be home. We lived in one-room floors with dirt shacks. Some of us had no shoes. Slavery was bad in Texas. Good morning, and while Juneteenth has been celebrated for decades, President Biden signed the bill that made it an official federal holiday just a year ago. And across the country, it was a weekend of celebrations that continue this morning. From a parade in Buffalo to a symbolic walk in Texas and a festival in Chicago, Americans gathering on the nation's newest federal holiday, Juneteenth. It took so long for people to actually acknowledge this as a federal holiday. This is only the second year. The day commemorates June 19, 1865, when the last enslaved African Americans in Galveston, Texas, were finally told they were free, more than two years after President Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation. I'm very happy this is a federal holiday because, to be honest, I really didn't know anything about it, you know what I mean? And so I'm still learning, you know, about my particular culture. But some corporations and organizations have been criticized for commercializing the day, like selling a Juneteenth watermelon salad or a Juneteenth ice cream flavor. Experts say companies are struggling to strike the right balance. I think if more companies had more people in decision-making positions who could help inform those conversations, they would think of more nuanced and I would just say better ways of recognizing the holiday. 
Meanwhile, awareness and appreciation of Juneteenth continues to grow. A Gallup poll showing a significant jump in the numbers of Americans who say they have a lot or some familiarity with the holiday, which many hope will not only be a time to celebrate, but also an opportunity to ignite a more honest dialogue about race in America. I mean, we need to have those conversations. It's uncomfortable. It's, it's, it's true. It's uncomfortable. Slavery was uncomfortable. We need to talk about it. Now, although Juneteenth is an official federal holiday, nearly half of the states in this country don't recognize it as an official state holiday. So for millions of Americans, the new holiday doesn't equate to pay time off. Hi, I'm Carmelota Williams, Dr. Karma, the CEO of the Black Archives of Mid-America in Kansas City. Welcome to the Black Archives. It was our honor today to have the KC Current here visiting the Black Archives. The Black Archives was established in 1974 by our founder, Mr. Horace Peterson III, and we continue to grow as we tell the story of African-American life in Kansas City and in Mid-America. The biggest thing was just taking in all the individual stories and recognizing how much history there is here right in Kansas City where we play the game that we love. You know, seeing what the black community has done for Kansas City, you know, the roots that are, that are right here, it's really cool to just see. Kind of like take your breath away in a sense because obviously you know about history, but to really see it and hear it and to understand really like what we came from. The back room over there, there's um, jars of soil from places where black individuals had been lynched, murdered, and just standing in that room, seeing the soil underneath the feet of where um, these people had died was, yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty touching, emotional, crazy to think about, and yeah, it's important to have places like this to just kind of shine light on, on those kind of things. The Black Archives is not just looking for community partners, we also want the community to know that we are their partner. We're at 1722 East 17th Terrace in the historic 18th and Vine Jazz District in Kansas City, Missouri. So please come visit the Black Archives of Mid-American Kansas City. our hair and makeup together. Back in the news business, the, your beautiful hair mm -hmm. would not have been allowed even five yeah. years ago. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I went renegade last year and started wearing every kind of braid style you that you could possibly do. Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, we know. Know. We know. We know. Let me tell you when I did it. When that Crown Act passed in New York, yeah. I'm going to wear all the different kinds yeah. of braids. Yeah. I'm going to put them up. I'm going to put them down. I'm going to have a lot of things on there. You went, went, went more than rogue, though. I went rogue. <laughs> One day, Joy had a whole situation. And this is how it always works, right? People text me like, yo, did you see Joy's hair today? <laughs> <laughs> Literally. I, can I just, I just, I worked on a show, and that person shall remain nameless, but they are very famous. And he had it in his contract that if you were a black woman, he was not responsible for your hair. Mm. And this was, this was a, this was a, a very famous. Who was it? Tell I us. Cannot, name, name. Just text it to us later. I text it to us later. But for all of you, I mean, in every single one of our businesses, we've had to deal with our hair being fried, falling out of our oh my hair. God, yeah. For somebody who didn't know how to do us, yeah. couldn't Ooh. sit in the thing. We couldn't have a black hair and makeup team. Foundations, two shades, Foundations, darker, ashy, ashy. Right. When you're not a celebrity in this way, 
this is a new thing being thrust into the spotlight. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So when you're like a social justice person, sure. and they they don't care how they make us look Correct. at Correct. all. Correct. I have been in places where they've just handed me powder. <laughs> and probably the wrong color powder. Oh, absolutely. Right. White powder. And I'm like, am I a clown? And so now you have to be a professional makeup artist, professional right. hairstylist. You already all know that. I go on TV and I'm like, I look a damn mess. Like what? What? What have been traumatized? And I'm supposed to have hair, and the hair is like that, and they done. I'm like, what? From the from from four years ago. That's right. I'm gonna tell you this. The first the time cover. I don't. I've never told the story. Mm. They called me three days before, and said, "Can you come in to do a photo shoot?" They did not tell me it was the cover. They said, "Bring a yellow shirt and a blue shirt, out of my closet." Wow. Mm. No wardrobe, no nothing. So I grabbed the yellow shirt, I grabbed the blue shirt. I came downtown. Oh, Lord. I came uh -huh. to the place, right? Oh, I'm just God. thinking it's going to be a little mm -hmm. yeah. picture, yeah. like whatever. I get to the place, my braids wasn't fresh. Now, mm -hmm. you know, come on. Come yeah. on. Yeah. Come on. Come on. I had three days. I could have took my braids out. Okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. My braids wasn't fresh. My braids yeah. was always fresh. Oh, yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. I would have freshened them myself. Right. 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 I get to the place, I, I, I get there, I just take the shoot like normal. They make this the cover of freaking wow. Time magazine. But Toronto, can I just say though, I think that the, what I think people misunderstand is that this is not um, vanity. Vanity. Not it's not a diva it's not moment. It's the fact that as black women, every single thing about us is politicized yes. and That's criminalized. Right. That's right. As we were having this conversation about black hair, and I know everyone keeps saying that we're in the midst of a national reckoning. You know, I'm still waiting for that. Mm -hmm. I think, yeah. honestly, what, what I think is more accurate is to say that we've been in the midst of an awakening. Yeah. Right. Um, but the reckoning for me will be when we codify the value of black lives yeah. in our budgets and in our policies. Right. Okay. And so, you know, we recently passed the Crown Act. Yep. This is Thank banning race-based race based, um, those applause are for the fact that I was able to keep my composure Amen. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> for, for the many uh, mm -hmm. offensive uh, things that were said. Uh, one uh, a person across the aisle referred to this as the bad hair bill, oh, my um, you know, which, which very much makes the case for the very thing that we're talking about. So the thing is that people get it wrong when they think that the Crown Act is just about hair. The Crown Act is about white supremacy. Mm -hmm. okay? How I show up in the world is disruptive in and of itself, you know. Yes. Shout out to the seven million people living with alopecia, disproportionately uh, black women. I have alopecia uh, totalis, and you know, I thank God for my husband, who in the midst of that, uh, all that loss, uh, reminded me that I don't need hair to rock a crown. Yeah. I made my daughter, my 11-year-old daughter, watch that video. When Listen, corporations are doing everything in their power to make a profit off of Juneteenth, regardless of how black people feel, and this behavior needs to be called out. Last year, President Joe Biden signed a bill that made Juneteenth a federal holiday. It was originally celebrated in Texas on June 19, 1866, and marks the day that enslaved black people learned of their freedom more than two years after the Emancipation Proclamation was signed. Despite the painful nature of the holiday, that hasn't stopped corporations from tastelessly cashing in. The most notorious example of it? Just last month, Walmart faced immense backlash over the celebration edition Juneteenth ice cream. The container, which was 
is covered in Pan-African flag colors, read, share and celebrate African-American culture, emancipation, and enduring hope. After they were criticized on Twitter for also ripping off a similar Black-owned brand, Walmart immediately apologized and pulled the ice cream from its shelves. Other companies, like the Dollar Tree, got accused of pandering to Black consumers for their Juneteenth-inspired merchandise, including head wraps. The commercialization of the holiday is inevitable. We saw it happen with Kwanzaa. Instead of supporting places like these, spend your hard-earned coins on Black-owned businesses like Free to Be Black and the Black vendors on Etsy who sell their own Juneteenth products. But let's uplift our own communities by contributing our time and money to organizations like the Audre Lorde Project and Equal Justice Initiative. But the best way to celebrate Juneteenth? Give money to a Black person. No, really. What are some ways you plan on celebrating Juneteenth? Share in the comments below and visit theroot.com for more. Everybody was just doing a bunch of crazy stuff. And nobody cared. This police ain't care. But on Juneteenth, as you can see, 
since Mochella ended early. Huh? There they go, look. Man, they shooting. Man, they shooting, look. Y'all gotta do something different, yo. Like for real, yo. Soon as the police showed up, that's when shooting happened. And they gonna use this against y'all because y'all niggas is stupid, yo. Hey, look at this shit right here. It say fuck. Can I zoom in? Fuck Come on, let's go, yeah. We're going up there. Yeah, nah, we going up. Come on. I ain't scared. Fuck that shit. I want footage. Watch your cousin and the bike. Look, he got his gun out. We got the fat one the fuck out of that gun. But as soon as the police showed up, they started shooting. <laughs> I got to put it man down. Juneteenth is more American. So, of course, you see this. They were pissed off because we were literally having Father's Day during it. Here's the flyer for what they were going to be doing there. And it turned violent, of course, because that's what happens to all of these fucking things. Did I get the Bill Nye? No, I don't think I got Bill Nye, but I'll talk about it soon. It's about people of color. It's about black people, specifically descendants of slaves, which I was arguing all weekend means we can't celebrate it and we're not invited to the cookout. Bill Nye, the United States we know today was built on slaves. That's just science. Okay. This one, you know, using superheroes, this is from the, the root. I, I didn't get it. But I did get this. Joy Reid tells us what we're getting wrong about Kamala Harris. She's black, so she's super qualified. Another article was Joy Reid and Tiffany Cross create space for women of color and culture. Juneteenth by the numbers. I'm going to blow this up because this, this is what they're pushing now. And once again, I don't give a fuck. The point is a nondescript holiday that some blacks did, most didn't know, and you woked it in because that's what you do. And now it's a national holiday that nobody knows what the fuck it is. Here's their numbers. Uh, 46 million black African people in the United States in 2019, 13%. 3,953,000 uh, number of enslaved people in 1880. 500,000 number of African people in the United States in 1860. 
200,000 Americans served in uh, the Civil War, 901 days in the issue of Emancipation Proclamation and General Order 3 notifying enslaved people in certain areas they were free, 159 years since January 1st, 1863, the date President Abraham Lincoln issued emancipation, 157 years since General Gordon Ranger issued rule number three, 150 age of oldest Juneteenth celebration in the world, 47 states with laws or resolutions commemorating Juneteenth, 42 years since January 1st, 1980, when Juneteenth became a state holiday in Texas, 30.2 percentage of population of Texas enslaved people, 15 states where it was legal to enslave people, before the Civil War, oh Jesus, this got really big, sorry. I'll bring it back down to that. Eight consecutive years during which Barack Obama, the nation's first African-American president, issued a statement to mark Juneteenth in 2009. So that's why we have this holiday that they don't want us to participate in. Because this soundbite is literally from... Um, The Root, what's on TV that's black? Stephanie here. It's officially summer, so that means it's time to whip up a frozen beverage and check out what's black on TV this week. June 19th, The Black Pack, Excellence, The CW, Tay Diggs, Neo, and Eric Bellinger are back with a new special that celebrates black excellence with music and dance performances. The show includes guest stars Tank and Jordan Sparks, as well as a tribute to Sammy Davis Jr. June 21st, Hip Hop My House, Paramount Plus. Cameron hosts his home renovation show where interior designer Zee's Louise works with hip hop superfans to turn their homes into the ultimate tribute. Migos, Tyga, and Nelly are among the guest stars. June 22nd, Eureka, Disney Jr. The latest Disney Jr. show your kids will spend all summer watching follows the smart, curious Eureka and her friends as they go on prehistoric adventures with her pet dinosaur. The star-studded voice cast features Renee Elise Goldsberry, Lil Rel Howery, Loretta Devine, and Misty Copeland. June 23rd, the 2022 NBA Draft on ABC. The brightest young stars of college basketball begin their NBA journey with the draft. Orlando has the number one pick, followed by Houston and Detroit. Of course, we all know it's really about the fashion. June 24th, The Shy, Season 5, Showtime. After a shocking Season 4 finale, the theme for Season 5 is Black Love. Friday, June 24th, signals the show's premiere with streaming and on-demand, while it makes its on-air debut Sunday, June 26th on Showtime. Bonus Binge, June 24th, Rise on Disney+. Rise is the inspirational story of how the Ante Tacumpo brothers all made it to the NBA. If you like family-friendly sports stories, this is... And everywhere you turn, if white people talk like that, that's racist. If Asian people talk like that, that's racist. Everywhere you turn, that's what black people want in this far-left BLM fucking Juneteenth crowd. So you put a holiday that's very divisive that most people don't even celebrate even if they are black... And you shove it in there and you just do it because it's a good cudgel to say you're a racist. And then as it rolls, it's constant. Just go to Twitter. Don't celebrate. Don't come to the cookout. You're pieces of shit. You're a racist. You're racist if you want to do it. You're racist. Then they have articles for days that I didn't even cover that are, oh, um, 
if this becomes corporate, this is bullshit. It's just bullshit if it becomes corporate. Well, you forced all these organizations to make it corporate. They got to put out their Juneteenth fucking banner and shit. You got to you got to tweet a black square. That was when you started this crap. You got to have a black square on your fucking Twitter or Facebook for George Floyd or some shit. Do you remember that? I mean, I remember it. And then they want to attach it to this. Prisons. Prison reform. How the fuck's that working out? Crime rate, repeat offenders, murders, every DA getting recalled. It's not working, folks. The reason why there's more fucking crime in urban areas is because of gangs and fatherless sons. Those are just facts. They get in the way of it's just a racist system. But the only justice system most of us see right now are that hardcore felons can murder and get off, get free bus fare and free phones. They get caught with guns as a felon. They don't go to jail for it. But you and I think about protesting. You're going to jail and they're trying to take our guns. Mine right there that hasn't gone to a school. It's been on that wall for a year. Well, I took it off a couple times to clean. Thanks to Matt's little brace. But I mean, what? The whole thing, if you want to know who's racist, it's the left. Because they believe black people can't get IDs, can't get jobs, can't have cars, can't get education. And are still back in chains, as our president said when he was a vice president. So to our lighter fare, it's a funny thing up front. Here is Morning Joe literally saying latte liberals are driving away Latinos and blacks. And they are the latte liberals who say the words Latinx and all that shit. And then the trailer for the new Jurassic Park. Another reality that Democrats need to anchor themselves in is Despite all of the things you just said, Hispanics and African-Americans are actually supporting Donald Trump in increasing numbers, that the Republican Party is doing much better with Hispanics than they have been, and that it's now breaking down on class uh, 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 grounds, not on race grounds. And I had a conversation, a very interesting conversation last year with Senator Bernie Sanders. He's very concerned about this, that actually what's happening, what we're seeing now is increasing numbers of working class Hispanics and working class African-Americans, particularly men, supporting the Republican Party. And for whatever reason, what Democrats are saying isn't actually getting through to voters. And we'll see what happens in the midterms. And I know everyone you know, is, is getting on this poll, but I do think that what we're seeing across the country is not actually reflective uh, of what you know this conversation is is about hmm. you know you, you you talk about you talk about those numbers this is something that david shore who worked for barack obama has been talking about since the election and you have progressives that have been mocking and ridiculing him because he's been saying hey and this is what shore said about himself we white progressives have pulled the party to a position 
uh, and Rev, I, I need to go to you on this, we, we, that we're too progressive, not only for working class whites, we're becoming too progressive for working class Hispanics. We're becoming too progressive uh, for working class black voters. We're becoming too progressive for our very base. And I always talk about Eric Adams, Rev, but he got elected uh, in a Democratic primary in New York City, in Brooklyn and the Bronx and Queens for a reason. And uh, for some reason, I don't get it. You call them latte liberals and you have for a very long time. But for some reason, it seems a lot of people running the Democratic Party out of Washington, D.C., just can't get this through their heads. They keep losing elections along the Texas border where Hispanics are breaking Democratic. Blue, you had a baby, that's impossible. Hey, girl. You look just like your mother. has not been unleashed. We made a terrible mistake. The doomsday clock might be about out of time. gonna survive what matters is what we do now i can use your expertise you coming or what a baby raptor i made a promise we would bring her home you made a promise to a dinosaur yeah what everybody hold on to somebody that can't be right Biggest carnivore the world has ever seen. Run! See? Not so bad. Okay, spoiler alert for Jurassic Park. You know, it was okay. I didn't see it in RPX, saw it on regular theater, but I'm going to tell you right now, it's kind of a Liam Neeson thing meets dinosaur. It wasn't like a dinosaur thing. It was, was, I don't know. It was okay. We had a good time, got out of the house. It was fun, but it it wasn't as good as the last one, which was supposed to be a bad one. It was just okay. And I think they sent it off in a decent trajectory since that's the last one they're ever going to do, but... I don't know, I was a little, little bit disappointed. So, this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Please share this to family and friends. Go to foppodcast.com. We can find this video, last video, every video and audio. Thanks to my sponsor, Matt in Oregon. Matt in Oregon. He doesn't like talking on the phone much. He texts every once in a while. But he pays for a website. So he's a good dude. Matt in Oregon. <laughs> I'm joking. I love you, brother. Um... 
I'd say the usual disconnect from your devices. Don't give the yeah, yeahs, but we know we're going to do it. Just enjoy your family. Take care. Be safe. Be cool. It's super hot where we are. Just this is crazy. You know, the positives are kind of like the lockdown. Can't go and do as much because of money, but you can spend time with your family. In the long term, that's probably a good deal. I know I'm watching all sorts of movies I never even watched ever before. We watched one yesterday, Made in America with Tom Cruise. That was actually a true story and a good movie. I was surprised. So we watched that on free download. Um, it was pretty good. But um, we are going, not going to be going to our race now. It's going to be 105. Feel like No, it's going to be 102. It's going to feel like 110. So I will not be having great videos from Nashville for the NASCAR race. And we might, I don't know. She's talking about maybe going and watching the beginning. We'll see. I'm hoping I get out there. But um, right now we'll look at a Sunday podcast. Uh, since I went a day early, that'll be the 26th. Um, until then, thank you all for listening. You take care and talk to you soon.